Hi, this is Kelly. And this is Jenna. And you're listening to ODFM. Today's episode is One Drumstick from Murder. This story is one that I'm very familiar with because it happened in Palatine, Illinois, which is a northwest suburb of Chicago. This is the case of the 1993 Brown's Chicken Massacre. <laughs> Those poor chickens. <laughs> Those poor chickens. I feel like they're oh. always getting massacred. They weren't even free range. Those poor chickens. Oh. <laughs> they had no chance to even run. <laughs> Are you, you guys don't have Brown's Chicken out there, do you? No. That's a, this side of the country. So Midwestern. It's like a KFC. Ah, okay. Personally, I always liked it better, but mm-hmm. there's very few of them now. Oh, no. Do and they, they were, oh, they were the massacre. <laughs> um, yeah, kind of. Yeah, kind of. Oh. It kind of puts okay. a damper on the whole Ew. business. Um, okay. But uh, I, I actually liked it better, and it was so good for catering. Oh. They were, like, awesome for catering. So. Oh. So when this happened, this would have been my senior year of high school, our senior year of yes. high school, right? Mm-hmm. And at the time, I had a part-time job at the McDonald's near my house. Oh, okay. So I was working fast food when this happened. And uh, my mom wouldn't ever let me work the closing shift. Understand. And I just was like, oh, she's just over, it's my mom, she's really overprotective. Right. And then this happened and I was like, yeah, that's no. cool. Yeah, mama, mom might know <laughs> a thing or two. Oh, no. Okay. No, it's okay. Oh. And then a few years ago, I actually, when I was like in the true crime section of like the library, like trying to find stuff to read, I found a book called um, The Brown's Chicken Massacre by Maurice Posley. And that's actually how I found out how the case was solved, was finding this Ooh, book. Because when it was solved, I don't know what I was doing in my life, but I really wasn't paying attention to the news. So I, had to, right. <laughs> I yeah. was like, oh, they solved it? Oh, cool. It was Sweet. Like, <laughs> you're probably so. watching Friends. I was probably watching Friends, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, so that's the little backstory. This is Friday, January 8th, 1993, Palatine, Illinois. Okay. Are you ready? Can you picture it? There's a lot of snow on the ground. There's a lot of big it's hair. A lot of big hair. It Crunchies. is stupid cold outside. Ooh, stupid yeah. cold. Ooh, right? That it's humid January cold. in Chicago. It sucks. Yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the kind of cold where well then it starts to get really dry where like you go outside and you can actually feel everything oh, yes. inside your nose freeze yes <laughs> right it's like oh that's uh, how cold we are yeah i hate that your lungs hurt yes exactly all right so you you're there you can mm-hmm. picture i'm now. feeling okay. it yeah I'm, it's horrible manny and epiphania castro wow. i'm gonna i'm guessing that's how you say your name epiphania wow. that is it's okay. difficult wow manny and epiphania Castro. They're oh. Filipino. Oh, okay. I was trying to figure out Italian or yeah. what. Okay. So they're they're worried. Their 16-year-old son, Michael, worked the night shift at Brown's Chicken and Pasta, and the restaurant closes at 9 p.m. Okay. So, you know, usually he's home like after a, that because, you know, yeah, you clean up and all clean that. Up. But it's 11 p.m. and he's not <sighs> home yet. Uh-oh. Michael is very responsible, always calls home to let them know if he's going to go out after work. Well, it's a Friday, but you know. Mm. So Manny drives the got different stories, either three or five blocks. Either way, he lives real close. Oh. Right. It's either three okay. or five blocks away. But but it's it's January. Oh, good point. <laughs> so I was trying drives. to think like, why didn't you walk? But yeah, yeah. Because it was friggin' cold. Friggin' freezing. 
So he drives a couple blocks away down to the Brown's Chicken on the corner of Northwest Highway and Smith Road. The building is dark. It appears to be closed for the night. But there's still five cars in the parking lot. <gasps> Uh-oh. And one of them is Michael's white uh, <gasps> Nissan pickup, oh, which shiz. he identified right away because he had all kinds of U.S. Marine stickers on the back window and bumper. Oh. So he was like, nope, that's my son's car. Yeah, you would know. Right. So he's like, okay. So he goes back home, hoping Michael just went out with his friends. He has a good friend, uh, another coworker who's 17-year-old, Rico Solis, another from another Filipino family. So he's like, you know, maybe, maybe they went out, they forgot, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. But at 11.45, Rico's mother, Evelyn, calls the Castro home to see if oh. her son is with them. Oh, God. That would make your stomach just drop. Rico is also a very reliable teenager. He's yeah, he's very suave. <laughs> so, and because of this, if he's missing, something's wrong. Yeah. He's very suave. He's very suave. Oh, um, Rico. Yes. Okay. So Manny calls the police. The Castros drive back to the restaurant and officer Dan Bonneville is there waiting for them. He okay. reports that everything at the restaurant appears fine, that Michael is probably out with friends like a typical teenager. And so the Castros go to the Palatine Police Department to file a missing persons report for their 16 year old son. Wow. So did the cops go in the building and everything? No, they just looked around and oh. said, looks like it's close. <sighs> okay. I know. They're like, okay, but he's 16 and he's not home. Right. So they were like, okay, fine. We're going to go do a police report then. At 1221 AM, officer Ron Conley notes a suspicious man in the parking lot of Brown's Chicken and stops to investigate. The man tells him his name is Pedro Maldonado. His brother, Guadalupe, was recently hired as a cook at Brown's, and he was expected home by 9.30 p.m. Uh Uh-oh. Guadalupe's wife, Beatrice, was so worried that Pedro decided to drive down to Brown's to look for him. Yeah. Aw. He says that Guadalupe's Cutlass Sierra is one of the five cars that's still in the parking lot. Uh Uh-oh. But Officer Conley says the employees all probably went out for a drink after work and tells Pedro to go home. So that's the second officer that just kind of was very dismissive. Like, yeah, right? yeah, you guys worry too much. Oh, shit. Pedro insists that Guadalupe is always home to say goodnight to his three kids. Aww. And that it would be uncharacteristic for him to go out after work or to not call home to say he was going to be late. Yeah, especially when you're like a family person. It's not like, you know, when you got kids at home, exactly. you're not like, oh, I'm just going to go out with the guys. Right. Okay. So, but Pedro goes home Mm. to wait for his brother. At 3 Mm a.m., Manny Castro drives to Brown's Chicken again. This time he's met by Officer Conley. Okay. They peer inside the windows of the dark restaurant. Oh, shit. It looks as if the dining room was cleaned. You know, the chairs are up on the tables. It it looks like it's been shut down for the night. They decide to investigate further at this point. (laughs) Finally. And they continue around to the to the back side of the restaurant, closer to the back. There is a green service door. And why didn't they call the manager or something, you know, or like the owner and be like, hey, can you check? Because right. there's a bunch of people missing. That It doesn't. Right. I, uh, it seems anyway. very odd. Right. Mm-hmm. Obviously, nobody thought that this was anything to be suspicious of at all. They were just like, whatever. Yeah. Oh, God. So, and I mean, this happened in the Chicago suburbs, but this this is like, I mean, it's still a good like. I don't know, 30 to 40 minutes away. It's pretty much straight north of where we lived in like okay. Lyle. So yeah. it's, you know, it's probably a good 30 to 40 minutes away from like downtown. Okay. Like so, it's, a, yeah. it's a suburb. It's, it's a, a suburb. smaller area. Yeah. It's 
feel safer. Exactly. Right. So, you know, they probably were like, whatever, you know. Yeah. So they go around to the back of the restaurant. Officer Conley tries the service door, which, you know, they expect to be locked. But he yeah. pulls on it and it opens. <gasps> oh, And he's God. like, okay. Uh-oh. And immediately Manny spots his son jacket hanging <gasps> just inside the door. Oh, And it's like, shit. that's his jacket. And he's like, he wouldn't have left without his no, jacket. It's, it's January. January. <laughs> it's freaking cold. freezing. Right. Yeah. Oh, God. But before Manny can get inside, oh, Officer no. Conley stops him and tells Manny, this is a crime scene. Wait outside. He saw something. Oh, shit. What did he see? He saw a blood-soaked mop. <gasps> Whoa. And just beyond that, the freezer door was propped open by an arm. <gasps> and there was a pool of blood on the floor. Oh, shit. That gave me chills. Woo. Yeah. So... The officer enters the building. Looking inside the freezer, he sees five bodies <gasps> intertwined, like, intertwined oh. with each other. They're kind of piled up. Yeah, and kind oh, of my God. They appeared to have been shot. There was a lot of blood. Oh, uh, I can imagine if all of them um, were shot. It wasn't a very, it wasn't a very big freezer. It was, like, I read they described it as, like, five adults would have, like, walked in there and had to all stand Okay, like, like you no, couldn't like, and, sit down and all fit in there. Right, or right. They could have all stood next to each other, and that's about as much room as it was. So it was kind oh of like a, like a big walk-in closet, yeah. or a small walk-in closet, I should say. Further inside, looking into a larger walk-in cooler, they found mm. two more bodies. <gasps> Holy shit, seven bodies then? The call that went out over the police radio was seven in the cooler at Brown's. Oh, oh God. <laughs> right? Uh, well, and the mop had blood on it. Was someone cleaning up? Oh, no. Okay. Okay. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of you. Okay. No, it's okay. I thought we could take a a little break and like let that all sink in for a second. Everyone who had worked the closing shift at Brown's Chicken and Pasta the night of January 8th, 1993 was dead. Okay. Side note. They had pasta. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. It was a Brown's Chicken and Pasta. (laughs) It was. Yeah. Oh, I told you they were good at like... They did a lot of catering. catering. It was good. Oh, it had such yeah. good pasta. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, people dead. Who cares? Pasta? <laughs> pasta. They had pasta too. It was so good. Oh. Okay. Do you remember Portillo's? Yes. Yes. Okay. So the same owner of Portillo's also ran Brown's Chicken. Oh, yum. Okay. So just imagine how good that was. Yeah. Yeah. With chicken at it. Lots so, of dead people. There were seven people working. All seven are dead. There are no survivors. Jesus. Uh, When they called it in, they were like, do you need ambulances? They're like, no, uh, we don't. We're good. We're all we're all good here. They aren't. But we are. Richard and Lynn Eilenfeld, I believe is how you said their name. I listened to it on on an episode. Just sure. Yeah. Eilenfeld. It's spelled funky, but I think it's it's like it's easier to say than to spell. Okay. So Richard and Lynn Eilenfeld had just become owners of this particular 27-year-old location mm. nine months prior. Great. So they've only been there for nine months. Uh, now our dreams are ruined. Thank you. He was 50. She was 49. Okay. They lived in Arlington Heights, which was one oh, town yeah. over, with their three daughters, Jennifer, who was 23, Dana, 20, and Joy, 18. Oh, gosh. Um, in the spring of 92, Richard had been unemployed for two years after his company was downsized. Oh, no. 
two of their daughters were in college. One was about to graduate high school. They needed to fix their money situation. Oh, that's so, so much pressure. Oof. They believed that the Palatine's brown chicken had a lot of potential, so they mm-hmm. used their life savings <gasps> to buy the business in hopes that it would solve their money issues. Oh, God. The mm. Eilenfelds worked 16 to 18 hour days and worked really hard to build up the catering side of the business. They paid for extensive remodeling on the inside and the outside of the restaurant. Oh, Jesus. Not only did their daughters help with the restaurants, extended family from Wisconsin, where they both had grown up, they would drive in to help. Aww. The Eilenfelds treated their employees like family as well. Michael Castro, the 16-year-old, he would call Richard's sister, who mm-hmm. would come in and help, mom. And Lynn's Aww. mom would come in, and he called her grandma. Aww. Whenever they would come to pitch in. Oh, God, I don't know. I don't, did I somehow take it out? I was going to say their life savings that they spent on was about $300,000. <gasps> no, Holy yeah, cow. Is what they did. Yeah. Oh, my God. Not so a little bit. all of their life savings and, and loans and whatever they could, they piled oh, it all. Oh, shit. Oof. Okay, so I was like, I thought I'd put that in there. But so okay, stressful. I'll say it later. So these were big-hearted people. They believed mm-hmm. in giving people second chances. They were known after closing, they would drop off le- leftover food at the Little Sisters of the Poor Convent in Palatine. Oh, they're such like, good people. Oh. Right. Like, because, you know, they would make food and it would sit under yeah. the lights. And if it was still there, instead yeah. of throwing it away, they would bring it. At least it goes to use. Oh. Mm-hmm. Middle daughter Dana was supposed to work that night. She had worked in the afternoon and her mother was supposed to have the night off but dana was about to head back to college so her mother took her shift so she could have dinner with her boyfriend oh what a nice mommy oh my god also working that fateful night was tom menace m-e-n-n-e-s i assume it's menace yeah 32 he was a high school dropout okay he had lived in palatine his whole life he had five brothers whoa He'd had a series of low-paying jobs before he got hired at Browns. He was a chicken mm-hmm. breader. I didn't even know oh. that was a position. <laughs> I didn't either. I started oh, on lettuce. Just... Now I'm on fries. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm on, I bred the chickens. Right. Um, it could have been worse. He could have been like the chicken, the head or something. Yeah. Ooh, right. the chicken massacre. Okay. Right. Yeah. Oh, geez. Mm-hmm. So, so he's only been there for two months. He lived with his identical tw- twin brother. Ooh. I'm going to wait till you stop drinking before I tell mm. you this. Mm. Mm-hmm. His okay. twin brother, Jerry. Yes, they were Tom and Jerry. <gasps> and yes, they were named oh, after the cartoon no. characters. <laughs> we just yes. watched that movie yesterday. <laughs> Did you? We watched it too. Yes, Tom and Jerry. <laughs> My God, that's funny. Oh. So they, okay. so, and they lived together. So they're twins. They're identical twins. They lived together. Oh, Tom and Jerry. As a teenager, he went for a joyride in his older brother's car and crashed it into a house. So he never drove after that. And he just biked to work. (laughs) Probably a good idea. Yeah. (laughs) Right? He was like, you know, this is not for me, this driving thing. Uh, I might not be so good at this. (laughs) Right. Oh, shit. Okay. Here he is at 32 and he's like, nope, still not doing it. (laughs) Yep. Nope. That's (laughs) all right. That's enough for me. There's another means. Yeah. (laughs) Then there was Guadalupe Maldonado. Right. uh, Okay. 46. He had just been hired as a cook the month before. Oh. He was married with three young boys, ages 13, 10, and 5. 
He and his family had just moved back to the U.S. a few weeks before. They had temporarily moved in with his younger brother, Pedro, and his family um, in a nearby Palatine apartment. That's why Pedro came home and his sister-in-law was freaking out. Yeah. Okay. You know, he didn't come home. She <sighs> just came here from Mexico. She's like, oh. I, I don't know what to do. They actually panicked a little bit thinking maybe he something happened with immigration. Oh, they, they didn't yeah. know. Like they were yeah. freaking out. Also, their wives were sisters. So brothers Aww, married sisters. That's so cute. <laughs> so cute, right? Yeah. And Guadalupe, or Lupe, as his family I called like, him. I was wondering if he had a shortened name. Okay. He's a Lupe. <laughs> he was an amateur bike racer and had won many trophies and prizes. Wow. Oh. Then there was Marcus Nelson, 31. He was an assistant manager. Okay. He was divorced with a four-year-old daughter. He worked very hard to send all of his money to his ex-wife for their daughter. Aww. He had been a cook in the Navy for nine years, but alcoholism ran in his family and he struggled mm. with it for many years. So he had previous, he had just before getting this job, he had entered himself into rehab to deal with it once and for all. Okay. He was working really hard to turn his life around. He was hired at Brown's as a cook, but he had quickly worked his way up. Oh, the... Man. Eilenfelds, uh, we're going to send him to management classes offered by the Browns Chicken Corporation. Wow. They believed in him. And he lived in a nearby townhouse with his recent fiance, Joy Oh, McClain. man. So you can see, like, they. Yeah, they all A lot were of these employees futures. were not very long. They were all building their futures, yeah. right? They were giving people second chances. Aww. Then there's Rico Solis, a.k.a. Suave. What up, yo? <laughs> Uh, he was (laughs) he was 17 he was a cashier he was raised in the philippines and had only immigrated four months prior (gasps) holy balls right exactly he attended palatine high school with his two younger sisters he had always dreamed of owning a fast car and a career in the military that's what he wanted those were his goals and he believed that hard work would bring him success so his friend michael castro from school urged him to get a job at Brown's he used his first few paychecks to purchase an 86 red Dodge Charger oh yeah baby yeah (laughs) right sweet he was doing it he was doing it he was doing great he's been here four months yeah I know guys have been here their whole lives and haven't Mm -hmm. gotten that together and and me yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's not about you Kelly Oh, Um, (laughs) shit. I thought the world revolved around me. What? (laughs) Not this story. The other story. Oh, (laughs) okay. He saved all the rest of his money to pay for insurance and clothes. He was determined to be financially independent. He's 17. (sighs) God, what have I done? I'm a terrible mother. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) My kids, as they sit at home gaming. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So he had actually been thinking of quitting Browns for another job. to make more money and the Ellenfelds had just promoted him to front counter cashier and Mm. promised him more hours because they were like no we want to keep you what are we I mean they were sounded awesome right yeah 17 year old Casey Sander worked every Friday night and the Ellenfelds asked if she wanted a night off that Friday Mm. okay um you know hey do you want a Friday off yeah Rico would you take her shift and she was Um. like great and he was like yeah So he wasn't scheduled for that night, but he worked. Okay. Rico was very close to his sisters and spent much of his free time with them. 
And, you know, he was a senior in high school in 93 and 17. Uh, So he he was the same age as us. Oh, that's right. His first job. Mm -hmm. And then finally there was Michael Castro, the 16 year old. Okay. That was friends with Pedro. That was friends with him, whose parents were the first ones putting Mm -hmm. him down when he didn't show up. He worked the front register. He was the youngest victim. He also attended Palatine High School, and he had plans to join the Marines after graduation, as you could see by the stickers on his car. And he hoped to eventually become an aeronautical engineer. Oh, God. He had plans. Oh. He was very close to his sister, Mary Jane. He had many <laughs> Mary friends. Mary Jane, baby. <laughs> Where's your head today? I, I don't know. <laughs> Colorado. <laughs> Colorado. Okay, right. Mm-hmm. He had many friends who described him as attentive, thoughtful, and empathetic. Brown's chicken was his first job. Ugh. So that's, um, those, that's the staff that was working that night. So as police processed the scene, they discovered Richard Ellenfeld, the owner, and Tom Menace, the chicken breader. Mm-hmm. They were in the cooler, the walk-in cooler. Oh, gosh. Okay. It appeared that they had been shot from outside the cooler. Oh. There were those, those plastic strips that hang in the door to keep the cool oh, air yes. inside. Yeah. And there was a bullet hole in one <gasps> of them. Oh, my God. Uh, Richard mm. had five gunshot wounds to his shoulder, back, and head. <gasps> Jesus. And Tom Menace also had a fatal gunshot wound to the head. Oh, my God. Executed. Yeah. The freezer, which was on the other side of the building, I found a like a like a drawing, like a diagram of how the the place was laid out that I can post online that helped explain this. But it was like you, you came in the service entrance. It was actually on the back to the side of the building. So the, the back end of the building was actually laid out in front of you long ways. Okay. And you walked in and the freezer was right there, but the cooler was actually on the opposite end. Oh, okay. Not, they were like not side by side. Yeah. The freezer was small. Here's where I said there would have been just enough room for the five victims to be standing inside. So God. it kind of, police suspected that the way they were kind of almost on top of each other, they probably were herded into the freezer. Mm-hmm. And as they were standing there, they were shot at. Oh, and then God. they just... Uh, all fell. <sighs> That's awful. One of the victims had thrown up. Oh, how sad. I would... Each one had a fatal gunshot to the head. I was thinking, because if you could kind of hide, which would suck, right. hide it behind everyone, but he must have gone in and... Made sure? Yeah. Mm. Lupe, the cook, was shot three times in the mm. top of his head, his forehead, mm. and one bullet went through his right hand. Jesus. Oh, like he was, oh, holding it up. He also, yeah, he also had a knife cut to one of his forearms. Hmm. Michael Castro, the youngest one, was shot several times and stabbed in the stomach. Good God. And then owner Lynn Ellenfeld's, her throat was slashed. (gasps) Holy shit. It was very brutal. It was very bloody. Jesus. Investigators counted 21 shots fired, all from the same gun. God. And it was a thirty-eight. And the number of shots meant that the gun had to be reloaded three or four times. Oh, no. Oh, no. So, you know, they actually had to stop. Yeah. Load the gun. 
Oh, God. Continue. Load the gun. Ugh. Like. And if you're there in the middle of it all and you're like the right. last person. While you're oh, listening to them reload. Shit. Yeah. The odd thing was, is that there were no shell casings left at the scene. Ooh, so they picked them all up? Yeah. Wow. So police knew that they were looking for one or more individuals who were cold and calculated enough to stop and reload multiple times and to carefully find and retrieve all the shell casings. So they're like, okay, these are people who know what they're doing, right? Yeah. The killer or killers also had shut off the power from a breaker box in the back, leaving only a dim Uh, nightlight on in the restaurant. Wow. This also shut off the power to the clock, which had stopped at 9.52. Ooh, so good clue. The safe was open, but not Mm. all the money in the restaurant had been taken. There was still money in the safe, and not everything from the registers had been taken. Oh, um, that's weird. Right? It was like, so was this a robbery? What was the motive motive behind all this? Oh, no. They looked through the register tapes and found a sale for a four-piece chicken meal at 9.08 p.m. Mm, The restaurant closed at 9, but the Ellenfelds were known to take orders past close if there was still warm food yeah. under the lights. Oh, I they hated would. that. When I worked at restaurants, <laughs> right? just let them in. in. Like, yeah, no. Oh, I'm it. supposed to go. I'm only paid to be here till nine. Yeah. I, yeah. Don't, I need to clean up and leave. Oh. Right. Oh, no, I want the food that's been sitting under the heater lamps. Yeah. Yum. <laughs> so the dining area appeared to have been mopped and the trash cans were empty with fresh liners, okay. except for one that had a single partially eaten meal. Take it for DNA. Mm-hmm. Crime scene techs knew that there could potentially be evidence left on the food. Mm. And while in '93 DNA analysis couldn't be DNA couldn't be found in saliva yet, you know they mm-hmm. were so good about well, you never know what we might be able to uh, do in the future. And so they awesome. recovered it and they froze it right nice. away. Nice. I good. even have a picture of the bagged chicken. What? That's awesome. Cool. <laughs> For those of you weirdos like us, that'll be yeah. like, ooh, that's the actual, ooh, that's the actual evidence. <laughs> right? There was also a coupon found on the dining room floor with a Nike shoe print on it. <gasps> ooh, okay. And thinking the coupon would have fallen on the floor, they, they figured it would have fallen on the floor after the dining room is clean because it was spotless in there. Oh. But then there was this one coupon and it's, they didn't say it explicitly, but I got the impression that like they had the coupons on the counter. Mm, right and so it was one that you could take but one Uh, must have fallen fallen. and then there was this nike shoe because all the other garbage in the place was cleaned off like it was it was good good that shoe print didn't match any of the victims so they figured okay this could be the killer's shoe so they collected that as evidence unfortunately the restaurant did not have a surveillance system or any kind of alarm oh no i'm surprised Police also learned that the, from the uh, other employees that the service door was left unlocked throughout the day so that employees oh. could come and go to change shifts that and for them to yeah. get delivery. So it's not like so – they probably didn't lock it until they were done done. For yeah, that. that's what we did usually at the place we worked at. Yeah. Oh, sure. Feel safe, don't you? Yeah, now, <laughs> never mind. Almost immediately after news of the murders broke, tips started flowing in. And one that caught the police's attention was about a man named Martin Blake. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Martin. Martin Blake. 
So Martin was a 23-year-old former employee who had recently been fired. Mm. And he was mm-hmm. pissed about it. <laughs> so friends reported that uh, he was angry with the owners for, fi- for firing him. He had also dated Michael Castro's sister, Mary Jane. Oh. But she had recently broken up with him. Uh-oh. He's got a lot of... Lot uh-huh. of- and investigators... They noted that Michael had far more gunshot wounds than any of the other victims. Oh, yeah. So, so it could have been you know. personal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another friend reported that Martin had been shooting a gun inside his residence. Oh, <laughs> that, that's that was normal. weird. I was like, yeah. <laughs> in, into what? Like, pew, pew. Oh, just, you know, random. I found that odd, but they didn't elaborate. Was like, <laughs> but, you know, it was basically like, we know he has a gun. We've heard him shooting it at his house. Oh, shit. But they didn't say, like, out in the forest. They said, like, in his residence. <laughs> have you ever watched uh, Trailer Park Boys? <laughs> no, but I feel like I would have seen this. if I. <laughs> it's a little bit like that. It's pretty hilarious. Is there, yeah, is there a guy funny. named Martin, Lake on there? Martin Blake? <laughs> that is the guy's name that always shoots into the ceiling and stuff. I can't oh, think. God. I know. It's always just random, like, (laughs) that's an interesting way to decorate. Yeah. Yeah. We could could use a hole here. Right. Exactly. I would like a skylight. (laughs) (laughs) That would work. (laughs) So it brings a decorator in. I would like a skylight here. See where I started it from? Yes. (laughs) I outlined it. Exactly. A woman came forward saying that she had stopped by the Browns chicken after 9 p.m. and that a young man with shoulder length dark hair turned her away saying that we're closed. Mm. Martin Blank had shoulder length brown hair. Oh. Police showed her a number of photos and she pointed to a picture of Martin Blank. Oh, Martin. Oh, Martin. Uh-uh. So, police arrested him in the driveway of his home as he was working on his car. There was a photo where they left his car, hood open, just (laughs) pulled him away. We're going now, dude. (laughs) Right? And so the community was relieved. Like, whew, suspect in custody. Uh It had been less than 24 hours. Wow, that is fast. Awesome. Yeah, it's a little too good to be true, right? Yeah, probably. Of course. That's usually how that goes. Uh, Yeah. So police obtained a search warrant for Martin's home and they found a gun, but it was not the same caliber as the one used in the murders. Okay. His alibi for the previous night was that he'd been drinking at home with friends, which is a (laughs) pretty sucky alibi. Same. But then if your friends are there, I guess you've got witnesses. Yeah, but they were all drunk, right? Yeah. Good point. Yeah. But, you know, so they're still in the process of, interrogating him Mm -hmm. but the witness who identified him then called the police and said she made a mistake she had seen photos of the victims in the day's paper oh and she recognized rico solis as the guy who she was like she's like it wasn't the guy from that she goes this is the guy this is absolutely the guy right okay so So they did bring her in for a lineup just in case and she did not identify martin oh Okay. So after 48 hours, they let him go. Mm, okay. Dang it. Police continued to work the case, interviewing all cur- current and former employees, as they had the, the feeling that the killer was familiar with the layout yeah. of the restaurant. Would know um, to put him back in the cooler. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. A week later, they received a tip from an inmate 
that a member of the notorious Chicago gang, the Puerto Rican Stones. <laughs> I don't know. I found that an odd name too. Like apparently they're like Stones. badass, and I'm just like, I don't feel like it's badass. Stones. It does- Please don't come after me. Please I know. Don't come after me. The huh. Puerto Rican Stones. Huh. Like the the the. Like the Rolling Stones, but. I was just gonna say they're, they're the Latino version of the Rolling Stones. I don't get it. I okay, but again, don't come after uh, me. I mean, yeah, I'm no, sure I'm sure you're bad. You I'm are sure badass. Bad. We'll just believe it. He said that a member of the Chicago gang had admitted to the murder. He was a promising spec- suspect, but then he was cleared. Oh, so they keep getting these tips and they're following them down, and they're just not working out. A one hundred thousand dollar reward was offered for information leading to an arrest and conviction. Holy shit. So they were getting a lot of tips. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a lot Everyone's of like, I want that money. Mm-hmm. Right. Three months after the murders, they got another promising tip. Okay. The torso of a 22-year-old man had been found in a nearby town. His hands and head had been removed. <gasps> oh, they didn't want him identified. Oh. I know, right. Oh, but they did. Okay. They identified him. Oh. They did identify him. I didn't go into all that because it's a whole separate case. Yeah, a whole different They story. identified him and two suspects were brought into custody. And the, the wife of one of the suspects told police that they were responsible for the oh. Brown's chicken murders. Oh, I see. But that proved to be a false lead because as she was telling them things, she was like, right. And then this night we had a party at our house. There were all those people there. Uh, they were there. And they're like, mm, that was the night of the murders. Uh, you, you just yeah. alibied them out. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. She was trying to put, pin it on them. Right. Well, I figured she'd probably like, well, mm. my husband's going to jail. Might as well pin him on this and then get the reward. Oh, true. Good point. Ching, right? Smart lady, but not so smart. Soon, police are out of new leads. Okay. The tips dry up. And the one piece of evidence that they have the shoe prints is slowly becoming worthless because after time shoes get worn out so then the prints will you know the print won't look the same and then people throw out their shoes so it's not like it'll be like just shoved in a closet yeah unless you're like me who has a bunch of shoes i have an obscene amount of shoes yeah okay i'm glad i'm not alone yeah i i yeah i do Mm -hmm. i think Getting new ones and you then help it. And I wear why like aren't you three getting rid of the old ones? Well, but there, I mean, there's nothing know, wrong with them. I, and they go with that one outfit. Right. So the case goes cold for several years. Oh, no. Not good. Today's episode is presented by The Skin Store. For over 20 years, The Skin Store has been the number one destination for premium skincare, hair care, and beauty products. With over 8,000 different products from 300 different brands, The Skin Store has you covered for all your hair, cosmetics, supplements, and of course, skincare needs. Find your favorite brands like Elta MD, New Face, Olaplex, and more, all in one place with gifts for every purchase. Right now, The Skin Store is offering our listeners 20% off your next purchase by using the code POD. That's code P-O-D for 20% off your next purchase at skinstore.com slash pod.list. Skinstore, have the confidence to tackle the day ahead. Exclusions apply. And this is when I stopped paying attention to the story and I was in college. Oh, right. And didn't watch the news. I pretty much watched 
Friends, Friends. and um, Unsolved Jerry Mysteries. Oh, Jerry Springer. <laughs> Remember Jerry Springer? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> there was a lot of that. In 1998, five years after the killings, Palatine police learn about a new breakthrough in DNA technology and Ooh. that the Illinois State Crime Lab was one of the leaders in the country at amplified DNA processing. And they were like, oh, yeah, baby. Yeah, let's try this shit out. <laughs> yeah. So they sent the frozen chicken meal and, you know, we're just like, well, let's see what happens. Yeah. Right? Well, it was a success. <gasps> and they got an extremely rare genetic profile of a male. So they're like, if you can match this, there's wow. not going to be a lot of people with this genetic profile. Okay. So the problem was when they ran it through all the databases, there were no hits. So he hasn't so been arrested, have, maybe. Yeah, so this guy okay. hasn't been arrested or had his DNA collected. So they wait. Because <sighs> eventually he'll get arrested for something. Right? You would think. You would think. 2002. It's okay. now nine years oh, since the no. massacre. Family and loved ones are frustrated and angry. The case isn't solved. I gave up. I wasn't even... Yeah, you were like, what? This still's like, around? Right. <laughs> right. So then on March 25th, 2002, police get a phone call from a former Palatine resident named Ann Lockett. She claimed that back in 1993, her boyfriend at the time and his friend told her that they committed the Brown's chicken murders. Hmm. And they're like, yeah, we've heard this one. Yeah. <laughs> we know yeah. this story, right? We've heard about this one before. And you know all about the reward. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, blah. So Ann Lockett had dated Jim Degorski through high school. According to Ann, Jim was in the behavior disorder classes at school. He did a lot of drugs. Oh. And that he and his friend Juan would torture animals in his garage. <gasps> oh, gross. He sounds like a... No. Why are you dating this guy? <laughs> Wait, what? Right? Ew. Hmm. He sounds fantastic. Uh, uh-uh. In January of 93, her then-boyfriend called her and said that he had done something big and that she should watch the news. And, you know, the only thing that was on the news that was, like, uh, top story of the night was the Browns Chicken Massacre. I would have been like, oh, you won the lottery? Yay! <laughs> oh, yay! Oh, I, oh it's no. something negative. It's, oh. Yes, it's never a good thing, right? Uh. So a few days later, when she was with both Jim and Juan, they told her that Juan had wanted to know what it felt like to kill somebody, and Jim said he'd help. Uh-huh. Come on, that's just I'd stupid. like to know what it would be like to, you know, sail around the world, and I would like to know what it would be like to, I don't know, just go on a shopping spree and not worry right. about what anything costs. This is not a normal... No, <laughs> I want to know what it's like to jump off a bridge. Okay, Let's do it. Right. <laughs> there you go. Do that. Masses. That's big. Ugh. Police were skept- skeptical at first, of course, of because course, they'd gotten yeah. all these tips. And they had a lot from women. Oh, Their ex-boyfriends to. and ex-husbands. <laughs> there were a lot. So they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Tell us yeah. more. This dick. <laughs> exactly. Mm. Have I got the person for you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he did it, but he deserves to go to jail. And when you arrest him, you can tell him to kiss my ass. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's funny. Be sure you let him know that I called this tip in. (laughs) All right. So then Anne mentioned something that she almost didn't say because she thought it was a very insignificant detail. She said that they told her one of the younger victims threw up. (gasps) Oh, 
Oh, and that something. was a detail that yeah. police purposely didn't leak. Mm, holy shiz. They were like, you have our attention. Mm-hmm. When they asked her why she had waited until now to speak up, she said that she feared for her life. They threatened her if she told anyone, and she believed them because, yeah. for one, Jim had been very abusive to her. Oh. Mm-hmm. And they just murdered seven people. So yeah. I mean. Plus one more, right? Yeah. Of course. Also, I guess as time had gone on that they hadn't been caught. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as long as more it's going, the more I'm like, oh, my God, I better not say anything. Yeah. <laughs> no shit. It'd be scary. So here's what's. This is extra creepy. In 1993, Jim Degorski was 20 years old Holy and God. Juan Luna was 18. God, uh, how demented to want yeah. to experience they that. Were, they were oh. the same age as... Oh, as the guys they killed. Oh, those poor kids. Ugh. Juan had worked at the Browns Chicken the previous summer. Oh, so and he, he did thought know the layout. It would be a super easy target. And he was right. Yep. He knew the layout. He knew the closing procedure. And he knew there was no security. (gasps) Oh, no. So police had interviewed Juan Luna just days after the killing when they investigated all the former Browns employees. Mm -hmm. And Jim Degorski actually told Juan to dress nicely and bring Anne with him. Oh. To talk to the police. It would wow. make him look more presentable. Or, yeah. You know. And so she sat outside in the hallway while he spoke to investigators. He told them that he had left Browns for a better job, which is which he had. He wasn't fired or anything. He, he oh, quit. Okay. And that he didn't have anything against the Ellenfelds. Okay. Or Eilenfelds. Still, and at the time, his story checked out. Uh. Also, really creepy that this 18-year-old who just like murdered seven people is calm and cool in a police Uh, investigation, like in an interrogation. That, yeah, psycho. So. Wrong there. Now in 2002, Juan Luna still lives in the Chicago area. Oh God. He's married and has a nine-year-old son. Oh, what? Uh Holy shit. Jim Degorski had moved to Indiana. Okay. Both men had steady jobs and no police records. Whoa. So it was like a one-time It was thing? a... That's w- super rare. <gasps> right? And they had remained friends. Oh, my God. Like, well, like yeah. None of because... that had happened. Like, it had just been like a wild party night. Like, they, uh, that was it. And no, like, remorse or guilt or... God. Creepy. Police reached out to each of them asking for DNA, and surprisingly, they cooperated. I'm guessing because they hadn't heard about the whole new DNA thing. Mm, you're probably right. Like, and eh, they won't have so anything So, sure, else. you can have our DNA, whatever. Yeah. Um, so they didn't have to, like, you know, sneak around and go through their trash yeah. or anything. They are just like, sure, go ahead. Here, take it. The DNA profile collected from the chicken was a match to Juan Luna. Oh my God. On May 16th, 2002, the day after the results came in, both Juan Luna and Jim Degorski were arrested on the same day so that neither one of them could yeah, take the could other talk off. The, oh, good, smart. Okay. Good, smart. Both. Good, smart. <laughs> Just like you with the good, yes, smart. I am good, smart. <laughs> I got the good, smart. I good, smart today. Um, <laughs> both men confessed 
That's surprising, too. And police finally had answers to what happened on the night of January 8th, 1993. Holy shiz. You're going to want to take a a drink of that one. All right, I'm taking a drink. Uh Uh-oh. Everybody at home listening, buckle your seatbelts. Oh. Here we go. Take a drink. Take a shot. You can pause here and take a shot. (laughs) Yeah. We suggest fireball. Yeah. (laughs) In Juan Luna's taped confession, he told police that he had worked there so he knew there was no alarm he knew about the safe he knew what time of day there would be the most money present and he knew there would be the fewest customers jesus so he was it was just cold and calculated it had nothing to do with who was there and it really it wasn't about the money either it was a a rush it was they wanted to see what What it's like to kill people Jesus Christ, what a waste of life. So on that night, the two men, and I use that loosely, mm-hmm. 18 and 20, young men, very young men. Yeah. They, they parked their car in a strip mall, like not that far away. They wore old clothes and shoes. Um, they brought a change of clothes. Whoa. God, these kids were actually pretty smart. Right? Latex gloves, a knife a gun, and filled their pockets with bullets. Before entering the restaurant, they put a wedge under the service door so that it couldn't be opened from the inside. Oh, my God. God. Yeah, this is, like, crazy thought out. That's so diabolical. Diabolical. They entered the restaurant through the main entrance around 9 o'clock. And Juan draped a sweater over his hand so he wouldn't leave fingerprints on the door. But he oh did kind of casual, so it didn't make a wasn't noticeable, right? Then Juan went in, ordered a four-piece chicken meal, mm-hmm. and they sat in the dining room and ate while the employees cleaned up and were getting ready to close. After a few minutes, Juan threw the rest of his meal into the garbage, and they both put on latex gloves. Jim Degorski. This some of the some of what went on. It was a little back and forth as to who did what exactly, but I think it was because Juan had a taped confession. Jim, I think, had a partially taped confession, and then they tried to say in court that like their mm. their confessions were coerced. So it's hard to say exactly who said what, or if they were saying that to make them look like I did less than the other guy. You know. Oh, gotcha. But you, yeah, you get the gist. You get the okay. so. I can't say for sure this one did this and, you know. Okay. Jim Degorski pulled out the gun, fired it into the ceiling, and yelled for everyone to get down on the floor. Tom Menace, he was the chicken butter. He tried to run out from behind the counter and was shot in the back. Oh, shit. He and Richard Ellenfeld were ushered into the walk-in cooler and shot. God. Another employee tried to run out the back service door, but the wedge was there, so it wouldn't open. God, that'd be horrifying. Right? So Jim hit him in the head with the gun, and then they were able to guide him into the freezer because he was kind of out of it. And the freezer was right there next to the service door. With the knife, Juan ordered Lynn Ellenfeld to open the safe. Juan told the police she was very scared. Her hands were trembling. Aww. She stuck the key in the safe and opened it. I said to turn around, and I cut her throat. <gasps> I guess God. I just got caught up in it, and I cut her throat. 
caught up in it like it's a romantic fun moment or something like exactly got caught up in the right? moment it was so much fun i don't know i just got carried away <sighs> i don't know how you get carried away with that jesus so they dragged lynn into the freezer mm. and ordered the rest of the employees in there as well juan and jim took turns opening the freezer door and shooting at the employees inside who had nowhere to go. There was oh no, nothing God. to hide. Right. They were just in this small freezer and they were just, there was just enough room for them to stand and they would Ugh. shoot and then the door would close and they would reload the gun. Oh my and then God. Open it. That's horrifying. It's like a gas chamber, but with shots. Right. And you, you can't, know where to go. Watching. Right. So if you're in the back, everybody in front, Oh, my God, of watching them fall and die, and you're like, (sighs) I've, oh, Jesus. They made a point to shoot each employee in the head, and Jim kicked each one of them to make sure they were dead. Ah, psychos. Jesus Christ. Right? How did they carry on with life after that? I just... Like, everything was normal. I I can't even... uh, (sighs) Then they retrieved all the bullet casings. They mopped the floor... And they shut off the lights at the breaker box. They carefully removed their bloody clothes, put them in garbage bags, and took them with. So even if they had... So that that shoe print was not, you know. Yeah. They carefully walked back to their car, stepping into the same footprints in the snow they made on their way in. Oh, because there was snow. Smart. Okay. I I don't even know how they came up with all this shit. I know. Then they tossed the garbage in dumpsters... As they, like, they drove down a ways and then they ran dumpsters and threw their bloody clothes in. And they disposed of the gun in the Fox River, which is a a huge river nearby. It's gone. Yeah, there's no way. Wow. The entire attack took 44 minutes from the time they ordered their meal to the time the clock was shut off with the lights at the breaker. So, 9.08 to 952 it was 44 minutes all that went down in 44 minutes jesus christ uh they stole less than two thousand dollars because they didn't take everything with there wasn't a lot there in the first place they 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 grabbed about it was like eighteen hundred dollars and they took the lives of seven people god just for fun in 44 minutes just just to see and they admitted to police their only motive was to do something big and then for the next nine years they led respectable respectable how do you crime do that? lives they just went on i just don't get how you could go through life after that you'd think they would become like alcoholics or drug users just to get away right. from the memory no actually it. they were drug users and stuff in high school and they actually cleaned up their act after afterwards that. that's so bizarre Right, they held down jobs. The one was married, had a yeah, son, had a kid. I, that is mind blowing, oh, and creepy. Oh, seriously, disturbing. So, despite their confessions to police, both men pled not guilty and went to trial. Mm. You know, maybe that was a bad idea. Maybe I shouldn't. Have, <laughs> you think? <laughs> so, on May tenth, two thousand and seven, Juan Luna was convicted after a fourteen-day trial. His 43-minute taped confession was played for the jury. Oh, haha. Oh, Good. yeah. You're done, man. Yep. And experts testified that the chance of anyone other than Luna being linked to the DNA found on the chicken meal 
was one in 2.8 trillion. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you're done. Yeah, you're, it's you. It, it, yeah, you're gone. But he still tried. He still tried. He's like, I'm not guilty. <laughs> you're done. Hey, you're, you're guilty. So at 33 years old, he was sentenced to life <sighs> in prison. He was only 33, 33 because he did this at 18. That's insane to me. At his trial in 2009, Jim Degorski's mother testified that he grew up in a violent home with a, he grew up in a home with a violent, sexually abusive father who would occasionally tie his children to a bedpost to beat them. Jesus Christ. Which sounds awful. Yeah. So not an excuse. No. Oh, no. It does not just A lot of people get abused and beat to shit and they don't kill a bunch of people. Right? And then go about their day like everything's fine. Prosecutors described how he brought a gun, pockets full of bullets, Mm -hmm. a knife, gloves, and a change of clothes to the crime. Yeah, it was planned. Yeah, it was was well thought out. And although there was no physical evidence tying him to the crime, he was still found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. And he was 37 when he was convicted. Holy shit. They were still so young. Both were eligible for the death penalty, but ultimately their juries chose to give them life sentences because it had to be unanimous and it wasn't wasn't unanimous to give them the death penalty. Um, And many of the victims' families felt that justice wasn't served and they were really angry about that. Mm -hmm. But the youngest Ellenfeld's daughter, Joy, said that she and her sisters tried to remember their parents' values and that they believed in fairness, the legal system, and they did not believe in the death penalty. So they were okay with it. Wow. Plus, then they get to rot in jail. So, you know, there's, right. there's always that. Yeah, there's always that. Mm-hmm. But as we've seen in other Illinois cases, you know, you get like time, a day oh, off. Oh, time for, served. Yeah. Time served and, and a day for good behavior and all this. So Such bullshit. Yeah, they're, they're still in there now, but I. I know. You wonder how early a, they'll get out. We have a messed up system in this state. We do. Overcrowding just, and all um, that shit. The Ellenfeld uh, sisters initially intended to keep the store open as a tribute to their parents. Mm. But at the time, they were 18, 20, yeah, and 23. they're just babies. Right. And it was just, it was... It'd be so much to try to start. No. It wasn't, it wasn't going to happen, right? The building's owner, John Gregornik, Gregornik? Something like that. Sued them seven what? months after the slaves. Seven months accusing them of breaching their parents' lease by not reopening the restaurant after the murders. What a dick. Right? What a dick. Come on. He he asked for over $655,000 in back rent and other... Fucker. (laughs) Right? Jesus. What a dick. The Ellenfelds countersued and asked the courts to terminate the lease. They argued that reopening the restaurant would have been in vain anyway because it was the scene of a mass murder yeah. and customers. I don't want to go base with a bunch of, Yeah, no shit. <laughs> right? There was a bloodbath here. Wow, that makes me hungry. Right? No. Don't worry. We sanitized. <sighs> no, no, mm. right? So in 1995, they settled and agreed to pay $57,000 to settle their parents' estate. No. The legal bills and the outstanding debts left the daughters with no oh. inheritance because their parents' life savings, the $300,000. Yeah, all of it into the restaurant. Oh, yep. my God. And so none of that was recovered. So not only did they ruin their whole 
family. They ruined their their future, their possible future as being entrepreneurs or, or right. I don't know. Oh, those dicks. One of my sources for this was um, the show on uh, Discover, um, Investigation Discovery. That's the one. Yeah. Cold Blood. Oh. Was is the show? Okay. And they, one of the daughter, the youngest one, Joy, she was interviewed in there, and she was like, you know, we were all in our late teens, early twenties, yeah. and we had to plan our. Uh, their funerals the funerals they yeah had to like figure out what's you know like they finances were, like major shit not small right and beans. then and then this dickhead uh, goes and sues them ugh. really yeah but what about my money All about money before the massacre brown's chicken and pasta had 115 stores in illinois indiana wisconsin and florida after the entire restaurant chain took a nosedive wow it affected all of them Today, there are fewer than 20 locations left. Oh, man. God, they And I'm telling like, you, it was better than KFC. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I think it is. God, so they don't, not only ruined this family, well, multiple mm-hmm. families of seven people there, they ruined right. a whole establishment and how many other people that had jobs. Exactly. With it. People who ended up lost their jobs and all that. And, oh, my God. Right? What dicks. So the Palatine Browns, once it closed down, it was converted into a cleaners for a short time, but that didn't last. And then they ended up demolishing the building. Oh. So it was just a vacant lot for many years. Now there's a Chase Bank there and it looks much different because it's it's built like a a Chase Bank. So it doesn't look like a, you know. But from what I understand, there are still locals who will only go to the drive-through there, and they won't go inside. Oh wow, they're superstitious about it, huh? Yeah, and they're like, oh. it's a sacred place. People died there. Oh, I'm just yeah. gonna use the ATM. I'm just gonna. <laughs> there was no sad. ATM or drive-through, so it's yeah. cool. It's so like... we can do that, <laughs> right? Oh. That's that's okay. Um. The other thing is that's weird is my best friend who I met in college. She lived in Palatine for several years after we graduated. And so when I would drive up to see her, that intersection is right off the highway. So I would pass it all the time. And at the time, it was still the vacant building. That when it was the cleaners, it was the same building. They just, oh no. So it still looks like a Brown's chicken. You know, like when they take like a McDonald's and they like try to. And you can tell. you're like, yeah. oh, that used to be a McDonald's. You can <laughs> you know? tell. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like mm. every time I'd go back, I would be like, oh, my God. Like, mm. It creeped me out. It did. No. Oh, right? how sad. And so that is what happened. And I didn't find out what happened until years later when I was like, yeah. I need some new books to read. What do we got in the true crime library? And wow. I was like, hey, look at this. They solved it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I didn't even know. I, I was know. off watching Friends and living right. my life. Exactly. Well, friend, the series ended. Now I need something Yeah, now I got to do something else. (laughs) Right. Depression, you know, you get depressed after the series ends. Exactly. I needed something to uplift me, so I decided to read about the massacre. (laughs) They do. They they do that. That is is the Brown's chicken and pasta. And pasta. And pasta massacre. God, that's sad. Anyway. Uh, Would you like to hear my sources? Of course I would. There were quite a few. Oh, shit. Okay, let's do it. So, sources for this story include, um, <laughs> include um, Murderpedia.com, because Always. there's, there's I mean, very little you can't yeah, find on there. It's true. 
the Chicago Tribune, they there were so many stories. There were so many stories on this that ran in the Chicago Tribune. The Winona Daily News, okay. the ID Channel show Cold Blood, season three, episode eleven, and the title is Seven in the Cooler." Yikes! Oh, I know, right? The Seattle Times, RollingStone.com. Well, the Stones. We were the talking sto- about oh, the Puerto Rican the Stones. Puerto Rican Stones. There you yeah. go. There, yep. Yeah. And the DailyHerald.com. Oh, nice. Okay. Please don't come after us, Stones. Don't. Nope. <laughs> nope. We are innocent I'm, bystanders. I'm terrified of you. I promise. Yeah, you guys are scary. I am all talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least they're not the Pebbles. If they were the Puerto Rican Pebbles. <laughs> the Puerto Rican Pebbles. <laughs> That's the junior gang that you have to work your way up into. It's like the brownies. It's <laughs> the Girl Scouts. There's like an initiation. You got to get a patch. <laughs> when you get older, it gets you get to a rock. And then after that, it's the boulders. The boulders. Know? Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, we are so going to Yeah. Well, that or we're getting murdered. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to to today, to our tasty little Chicken oh, story. drumstick. Mm. Or drumstick. I'm feeling yeah. chicken yeah, and pasta so. tonight. Mm-hmm. Chicken, yeah. Go out and get yourself some chicken and pasta. <laughs> and stay if odd. Stay odd. If you're lucky enough to live near a Brown's chicken and pasta, <sighs> let me know how they are. Are they yeah. still tasty? Is it still good? I think there's still one somewhere around here. I think so. I'll have to look it up. Yeah. Grubhub it. Right? And then I'll just post a picture of myself with my drumstick. Yeah. Oh, do it. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode. We appreciate it. Please tell your friends and family about us. We will bring you another episode soon. Yes. Stay on. Stay on. (laughs) Goodbye. Bye. To see images from this story, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ODFM Podcast or on our website at odfmpodcast.com, where you'll also find a link to our merch store, where you can get awesome stuff like t-shirts, mugs, stickers, and more. And if the weekly podcast just isn't enough to fill your ODFM cup full, join our fan club on Patreon for more content like minisodes, bloopers, and discounts at our merch store. That site is patreon.com slash odfmpodcast. And if you do love our bloopers and need more than we naturally do, which is a lot, buy us a glass of wine at buymeacoffee.com slash odfmpodcast. Thanks for listening to another episode of ODFM, hosted by Kelly DeVries and Jenna Swanson. Production and editing by Kelly DeVries. Theme music by Eric Swanson. ODFM is a satirical true crime podcast for entertainment purposes only. The stories you hear are serious and true. The comments and opinions are not. We apologize if any of our content is harmful or disrespectful. 